It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I remember sitting at my dinky little, like, $60 Amazon desk that I had put up because I didn't have a course. Nobody had a home office, or a lot of people didn't at that point. And I was like, ah, "All right, this is it. I guess, I guess this is this is the call." And said, "All right, you know, there's not that much to lose. I guess better do it." And so I called him back and said, "Yeah." Because saying yes would also mean you'd basically be quitting Tesla, and then it's kind of departing into this whole new thing. Yeah, I knew I was putting a fork, you know, in the, in the road in my kind of life and career at that point, and had to hold my breath to do it. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week we are talking, of course, about camper vans, or as they're called out in these parts, RVs, recreational vehicles. Why are we talking about RVs, you ask? Well, because lots of people have them, apparently. Apparently one in ten Americans has an RV. Who knew? And the thing is, they have not really come very far technologically in decades. If you look at like a Winnebago or something, it looks not too dissimilar from what a Winnebago looked like 30 years ago. And as we all know, the electric car revolution is kind of washing through the whole auto industry, except for RVs. So this week's guest saw that, uh, that it was just crying out to be electrified and thought, hmm, maybe I should start a company. So that's what he did. His name is Ben Parker. He is a mechanical engineer who spent several years at Tesla before he left in the pandemic and teamed up with another former Teslaite to create their company called Lightship, which I have to say is a very good name just kind of has a nice ring to it. And they reckon that Lightship will be America's first all-electric RV company. They just raised $23 million from investors, and they are now beavering away on their first prototype, which they plan to reveal at some point next year. So I had Parker on not only to talk about Lightship, because it's, it's just a really interesting idea with its own unique challenges, because, you know, starting a car company from scratch, or a vehicle company from scratch, rather, not cheap or easy but they've kind of bitten off this very big mouthful of an idea but also i wanted to have him on to talk about his experience at tesla which has just become this really incredible source of startup talent it feels like virtually anyone we have on the pod these days that is in any way involved in batteries or electric cars or flying cars whatever it may be can be traced back at some point 
to Elon Musk's EV pioneer. So we also talk about just you know the the growing Tesla tree of talent and what he learned there, what he learned to do, and perhaps what not to do. And so we get into all of that and much more. You guys are going to really enjoy this one. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to my conversation now with Ben Parker, founder of Lightship, yet another EV startup, but with a twist, obviously. Enjoy. Ben, thank you for for joining the show. Sure, Danny. It's uh, cool to be here. So an electric RVing. That's, uh, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, well, why don't we start there? How did you get involved in this? Did you grow up RVing across America? Or kind of like, how did you, how did you arrive at this as a, as a startup, as a thing that you're going to, you know, spend all your waking hours on for years um, to try to make happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I, w- I wish that weren't true, but there, it's true. there's always an element of light chip buzzing in my brain. Yes. Yeah. No. I, I. I. did not grow up RVing. It was actually it would have been impossible for me to to grow up RVing or almost because I, I grew up on a uh, on an island off the east coast, Nantucket Island. Oh yeah. I think a name a lot of people know. Yeah. My kind of whole dad's side of the family are are um, innkeepers or been innkeepers out there. Oh, I see. So we have, we have a colonial style post and beam in, uh, which I, I actually spent my first probably year and a half of life living in in the main the main suite where mom, mom and dad could start a property out of town away from the end. Right, 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 right. But I mean, Nantucket is 30 miles off, off the coast of, of Cape Cod or, or about, and it's only maybe five by 10 miles large. And RVing and road tripping is, is a kind of thing that takes a lot of space and a, you know, a, lot, of, a lot of distance between, between points. And you, know, you can probably, probably count on two hands the number, number of RVs on the island. And, you know, after, after school, I came out to San Francisco to work on electric cars. And here too, it's, I mean, it's, there are some RVs on, on the streets, but a lot, a lot of times it's, you know, people who own them for sort of their, I don't know if you want to call it official purpose, but for, you know, re- as, as primarily vacation vehicle and recreational vehicles, they're largely storing them out, outside of the city because the, you know, the land is, is so expensive on a tiny peninsula like this. So when you came out here for, to work on electric vehicles, what had you studied? I was an engineer, damn an engineer. I would say kind of mechanical engineering at the I core. Um, although a lot of my engineering work has always been on power systems, and so you inevitably tread into electrical territory. But yeah, it was, it was a pre- pretty general general engineering degree at Dartmouth in Hanover, New Hampshire. And really, a lot of the, I guess a lot of the specificity that I got in my sort of in, in my engineering education was not not so much in the classwork, but in working on, on formula racing cars. We had a, mm. we had a, a, a formula student team as, as many universities across North America and, and in Europe do. So like formula, formula E or whatever kind of style. Yeah. There, there, there've been different variations of it. Honestly, as, as automotive technology has sort of, you know, progressed by leaps and bounds over the last couple of decades. Um, at the time that I was in school, what was most popular was Formula Hybrid, or, or that was sort of Formula E uh, or Formula Student Electric was just kind of on the horizon. It was brand new. We were working on, on hybrid electric race cars. So imagine basically taking a think like a an electric helicopter motor and like like what would spin the you know the yeah. propeller on a, on, a, on a helicopter, combining that with a small high performance gas engine. But uh, in, in our case, it came out of a out of a, a performance dirt bike. 
and you know smash those two together into a, a tiny tiny chassis that is it's only big enough for one svelte person to cram themselves down into and that we both over the course of two years we were on a two-year design cycle the group of, of 30 of us 30 you know 30 university students would design and then and then build and test one of these cars and then and then take it to competition in the spring and, and compete against a few other dozen when did you come out here what year it was um well i, I actually st- i started coming out to the west coast to do internships at tesla I think the first one was either it was it was basically the very start of 2015, end of 2014, start of 2015. Right, right. So I was going to say, yeah. So imagine it was kind of came out in that time frame. There's only really one game in town to speak of in terms of electric cars. Yeah, it was nascent. I mean, I think I think Tesla had just gotten to the point of you know real credibility in the product. There were there were a lot of Model S's out on the road, and when I started the Model X, the you know the crazy SUV with the the Falcon wing, flappy doors was just about to be released so i think it was it's funny though because actually my my first impression and my first time i learned about tesla was they brought the roadster tesla's original you know low volume sports car built on built on a lotus chassis yeah uh onto top gear the the racing show and kind of got beat up by the 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 top gear commentators and and uh yeah there's a whole controversy about whether or not the car broke down or, or was made to break down on the track that day but that was what I knew about it. So it's funny that that impression actually was still, it was still the thing that I was like, yeah, I got to try to work on this. I, I think there's something there. What did you do? Because you got a job at Tesla. So what what was your job there? Yeah, I eventually took a full-time job as a, a battery design engineer. I was a, you know, a mechanical design engineer working with um, a couple dozen other people. Mostly in my case, I took a full-time job there mid-2016. And so the, the Model 3 development program was kind of just started up and it was it was it was well underway and and, and yet the, you know the parts were it, it was all kind of nascent too so you were you were there for the full production hell of getting <laughs> oh, yeah. the, getting the the model three kind of line up and running and the kind of i remember i think that was still 2016 2017 people were still talking about tesla like is it gonna make it because it was so expensive and things were so delayed and it was always like they're just blowing through cash at such an extraordinary rate. I mean, it's kind of funny to think about it now because it's the most valuable car company in the world by a very long distance. But even five, six years ago, I feel like we're, there's still like people being like, mm, I don't know if this is going to work as a business, which is just kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, for, frankly, in I'd say 2016, actually, especially the winter going into spring of 2018 was crazy time there and i think uh rightly so people there was a lot on the line and it was not not clear if the company was going to pull out of the model 3 program with a a great car because there's just um you know so much capital deployed and you know and the debt obligations on the company were so large at that point but we were as everybody knows that you know way delayed in the ramp the ramp up of, of, of the program and that just meant there you know a lot of a lot of money in the lurch and I mean, if it had, you can imagine if it had gone on without much production for another six months or so, I think it would have been. I mean, it was already really dire straits, and it, 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 there would have been some sort of a contraction. At that point, it was wild. I mean, we the design engineering team was we, we were sort of some of the first on the ground to the the first Gigafactory, which is in in Sparks, Nevada, just just outside of Reno. And I remember it was basically a giant cavernous warehouse that was sort of what it felt like when we we, yeah totally 
none of the production equipment had landed at that point. Um, there was still a lot of construction going on on the building, which, which actually continued through <laughs> much of the production ramp. But it was basically just we, we started going out right at the end of 2016 and into early 2017 because we had to you know, begin building the batteries in the production facility. I, I, I worked on sort of a core element of the battery pack called the battery module, which is that it's that first layer of connection, both mechanical and electrical between all of the 4,416 battery cells. There's, there's, you know, kind of like, like double A on steroid sized yeah. battery cells that, that go into the, into the car. And so we, we started building those by hand with a um, small team of technicians. Wow. You know, right. That started 2017 and, and, Basically, uh, maybe didn't quite know it at the time, but ended up living, you know, living out of hotels and suitcases in, in Reno for, for about about the next two years. Um, oh, wow. Because, again, it was, you know, it was just a lot of the companies sort of collapsed on the Fremont facility, which is the general assembly plant in, in, in Fremont, California, and the, the powertrain production facility in Reno to try to pull us through. So you saw you saw the Gigafactory start from literally a gigantic empty building to what it is now, which is like a marveling, kind of a, like an engineering marvel in terms of size, output, etc. So when did you decide to leave or did you decide to leave to start a company? Like, how did you get to the point where you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do a startup and it's in that I'm going to do a startup, an electric vehicle startup that is in this kind of, it's not, well, to me, it seems a niche, but I'm sure you're going to tell me it's not a niche. <laughs> I, I will tell you that. The funny thing, it's all it's all relative, right? Yeah, yeah. Compared to global automotive, RVing is is a niche. You know, it's it's a, at least an order of magnitude smaller. But global automotive is a trillion plus billion dollar business, and and, uh, and RVing is is you know many t- tens of billions, which by by many standards is is huge. All of this stuff, the kind of the, the market side of it, I you won't be surprised to hear as an engineer. I, I figured out a little little later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, my, my origins, or I, I guess the sort of the origins of how I how I got to, to RVing was I would say by the time I left, yeah, I knew I was I was gonna, you know, I was gonna try to start an, an electrification company, although I still didn't didn't really know what it looked like, to be honest. But the nucleus of the idea started when I was I was still at Tesla. I, I had um, and, and working as a as a battery engineer, I had gone back to the to the headquarters at that point, um, which is in Palo Alto, California. And you know, the, our, our team was starting work on sort of the next generation of battery design at that point. It's going into basically all the cars being built in in Austin, Cybertruck included, right? I, I believe. And you know, that structural battery pack was was sort of the the day job and then because i was home i had had a, had a little bit more time on my hands again and there was this thing that happened every day that just started irking me enough that i i i got to this point where i felt like i had to do something and that was that a lot of our team would eat at a food truck every day or actually kind of a rotating circuit of food trucks all of which would, you know they, they'd come to the headquarters because they knew the folks inside wanted wanted the hot food and they all run these really insanely loud gas generators, you know, to, to provide any any power that they need on board to keep keep the cooking operation going. And they, in particular, I remember they do this at food truck fairs too. They go kind of like side to side with each other. And so even if the generator is spouting its stuff out of the far side of the art or of the of the the food truck, there's another one right behind you whose generator is spewing directly into the line of of people lined up. You're like, can I have some exhaust with my tacos? 
yeah, exactly. I'd right, bring the taco <laughs> down, to, down to the exhaust pipe to get some, get some seasoning. Um, it's, it's gross. And uh, so I, I basically, I just got to this point where I was like, okay, this, this is such a, this is such a, one of those low hanging fruit mm. electrification problems. I know that all these food trucks don't, don't need to be running gas generators because they're not actually using that much energy every day. Well, cause, and that's, I just want to pause there because I think that's really interesting because it gets this whole idea of electrify everything and that we're at the kind of the start of this. And I'm just wondering from, from your perspective as an engineer, who's just been working, spent years working on batteries for electric cars. What did you see in terms of like those food trucks and what the technology is now able to do that real, that made you say, Oh, that's low hanging fruit. Cause for me, it's like a big noisy gas generator. That feels like it's a lot, right? Yeah. It feels just like viscerally, like there's a lot going on there. There's a ton of energy it's producing. And that's like, that would be very hard to reproduce in an electric kind of quiet, clean thing. Yeah, I feel like this is the old thing with with, uh, with muscle cars too. Like you get a you get a muscle car from the nineteen seventies, and thing will blow your eardrums out. But yeah, but it, but it's like a slug totally. compared to to you know to a modern race car. <laughs> um, yes, loudness and, and and speed are not totally equivalent. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it. I think one one of the best parts of the Tesla DNA as well is, is sort of going going back to the physical fundamentals, and that way of thinking was something that I certainly came to appreciate. And you know, adopt a lot, a lot more when I was there. But the interesting thing about food trucks, and I, I think this applies to a lot of cases of where you need onboard power, you know, sort of mobile power on a, on a vehicle. In this case, is um, especially for kind of living uses, is that it's it's not that much energy. You actually you actually need a lot. You need a lot more energy in a battery pack that would propel a car down the road than you need just to keep some appliances sort of home, home appliances running oh i see and part of the reason those those generators are so loud is because they you know they're trying to keep costs down and so they just they wouldn't put like a great muffler on it for instance the other thing that's interesting is that that also killed me about the generators is that they're very inefficient they're like much much more inefficient at converting you know that propane or gas yeah. that, they, that they store in the tank to usable energy or energy that's actually being being used even even versus a you know a passenger car for instance at least with a passenger car and especially when you're cruising a lot of the energy in the gas or more, more of it is going to, to the road whereas with a generator a lot of the time the thing is it's basically running at like near red line or it's, it's running at a pretty fast clip but the stuff that's actually drawing energy off of it is barely drawing anything. Like it, it might be an iPad that you're charging or something like that. Right, 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 right. You've right. got this roaring engine, which is basically just, it's basically just a, it's like a heat generator <laughs> at that point. It's just, let's just burn gas and spew the heat to the, to the atmosphere. It's like using a fire hose to like water your lawn. Yeah. Total overkill. And so looking at a battery based system or a battery and solar system where you can really meter you can kind of perfectly meter the energy to the loads to the appliances whether it's an ipad or a refrigerator or whatever it is on board the, the vehicle um you only use the energy that you actually have and that you actually need and you know make no carbon dioxide and co2 and, and noise and all, all that stuff in the process stuff i didn't you know i didn't think about with, with food trucking it's just of course I've, I've i've now learned to do is one you know look look at sort of willingness and ability to pay and yeah, two yeah. is just, yeah. just market size right and they're you know they're, where there are only i think it's about ten thousand food trucks in the whole in the whole us and they're very concentrated in just a few kind of urban urban areas um rving is, is many orders of magnitude bigger it's over 10 million active rvs on the road 
believe it or not, one in 10 American families has a has an RV sitting in their driveway or in storage somewhere. One in 10? Yeah. Wow. 10% of the country. So I kind of looked at that and I was like, oh man, this is how I ultimately stumbled into RVing was first off people and especially people with, with more entrepreneurial backgrounds than I had would bring up RVing in, in conversation. And then in terms of adapting this pet project to electrify food trucks to more of a, a business that I, I would try to scale, the problem set or the problem space was really similar. Right, 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 right. So it's kind of a natural progression. So you, you quit Tesla when? I left in April 2020. There was something afoot in the world. <laughs> you might you might remember. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, of course, of course. And I presume because that was, I presume you got Tesla stock, you were able to kind of like not immediately jump to another job and then start tinkering around with these ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I knew that I was going to, I was, I was, I, well, I knew, I knew that I had a bit of time, right, that I, that I could, la I could last long enough to work on something like this, but I was pretty sure that I was going to, you know, before I finally took the step to leave, I was, I was, I was like, yes, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. And in fact, while we are now the, the first American all electric RV manufacturing business, that was not even exactly the idea that I, I was kind of setting out to explore in April, 2020, but I, I knew there was something there i was like okay i love road trips i love the outdoors personally i see that there is this big market out here by the numbers pretty clearly it's a you know it's an area where um because remember i was coming off for, of trying to sort of sell units to food truckers where there's maybe not always a lot of cash in the bank because a lot of them are, are smaller smaller businesses i was kind of drawing the comparison to the RVing lifestyle, where the, you know this is really kind of a, um, it's an essential part of Americana. It's a it's a luxury way to experience the outdoors and sort of all, all the splendor there in comfort, or in a way that's sort of more accessible to a lot more people. And so, I just looking at the numbers, it was I was like, okay, there I think there will be a willingness to 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 pay for you know a vastly improved experience here. And I was quite confident from you know everything that I'd done and learned to date that yeah. Um, electrification could make a big dent in radically improving the experience of, of, you know, RV travel and camping. But I was, I was pretty aware then, and I, and I still am now that I had a lot to learn about the lifestyle and about the industry and, and ultimately the, the people, because I, I was already sure at the time I didn't know enough RVers. And so, I mean, COVID started and, you know, we were, we were all shut up in our, our apartments in, in San Francisco. And I was like, I can't do another three months of this. I got to get out. I've got a, a nomadic spirit. So I, I called up this RV rental business, a uh, family RV rental business in Antioch, California, like I think the maybe the week after the shutdown orders went went into place. And when I called them, they were like, and I, I told them I wanted to rent an RV and maybe, maybe for a while, actually, they were like, we're so glad you called. Our phone literally has not rung in like a like a week yeah that sort of thing because everyone everyone was just locked down in reassessment mode they yeah. were like you know nobody knew what to do at that point it was kind of shell shock so then i you know we, we sort of haggled back and forth and i got a what ended up being a very good rate on on the rv for that summer because um, i was talking you know like a two and a half three month rental with them and they agreed i said could you hold it for a few days i gotta you know get my fares in order here and they're like, okay, sure, because I because I, I knew I was going to be, you know, probably leaving my job to do this too. And they called me back after a day or two, and they were like, Ben, things have changed. Our, our phone is now off the hook. Oh wow! There's you know way too many people calling us right now. So they're like, we need you to commit 
And I said, uh, all right, just can you give me an hour here or, or two? Of course, they kind of didn't know what was at least at stake in, in my mind. And I thought about it. And I, I remember sitting at my dinky little like $60 Amazon desk that I had put up because I didn't have, of course, nobody had a home office or a lot of people didn't at that point. And I was like, ah, all right, this is it. I guess, I guess this is, this is the call. Um, yeah. And said, all right, you know, there's not that much to lose, I guess. Better, better do it. And so I called him back and said, yeah. Because saying yes would also mean you'd basically be quitting Tesla and then it's kind of departing into this whole new thing. Yeah, I knew I was putting a fork, you know, in the, in the road in my kind of life and career at that point and had to hold my breath to do it, but went for it. And the, the, I mean, the trip was awesome because it was, this is something that I just love about, you know, work, working in RVs period is that it's pretty, as you'd expect, it's pretty relaxed atmosphere. It's, I mean, it's kind of all about vacationing and recreation and, and you know, having fun, enjoying time with your friends and family and all of the beautiful natural settings. So I, I got out there and I was, I was traveling solo a lot of the time and, you know, was li living out of this, um, it was a, like you, I, I had a Winnebago motorhome, um, so sort of combined living space and driving area, Yeah, had a powertrain, all that, and basically took it for the next three months. And I, I still have a blog up if, if any, anyone digs deep in the, in the bowels of, of medium. Right, 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 right. You'll find my, my Lightship RV blog got a route mapped out there still, I think, and did about 6,000 miles. And I, wow. I stayed, it was kind of cool. I got, I got a bunch of different varieties of, of RV camping in then too, because there are many, many different ways to do it from really kind of established RV parks. A lot, a lot of the time that you find even in, in the suburbs, for instance, to state and national parks, to total off the grid dry camping, like even on, on Bureau of Land Management land, which is you're basically fending for yourself. So you came back and then you're like, all right, now I'm going to start a company. Like, how does? <laughs> now what? Well, te technically, I'd I'd incorporated from the road. I uh, I, I used a, a service that Stripe has set up called Atlas. Oh yeah, we've had uh, Patrick Collison on this pod, and he told us about Atlas. Oh cool. Um, well, thanks, Patrick. I don't know you. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> he, he helped, helped, helped me set up a, a Delaware C corp. Yeah, inc incorporated from the road at one point. It's pretty funny. My laptop screen was broken that whole summer and all the Microsoft stores were closed. And so I, I had to like jury rig it up to the, to the TV right, in the right, RV, right, so, right. but just barely got it to work and did the incorporation. So I kind of had, had a name and an address at that point. And, um, I'd been sketching ideas for what the first product would be for kind of just napkin sketching through that, that whole summer. And so I had, I had an idea of what, what I wanted to first build, which at the time it was just the power system. I was thinking about, it was actually, it was kind of piggybacking off of the original generator idea. Um, had this idea for a power system. So, you know, batteries that would integrate with solar and could run AC appliances in, in, in an RV. So I set to work on, you know, I'm a sort of a product designer at the core. And so, so I, I thought, what can I do to, to get this started? I, should, I guess I should, I should start building something. Yeah. Um, and I had had this idea and, and, you know, put aside some some cash to do it. And I spent the next maybe six or seven months um, from the time that I got back at the, at the end of that summer of 2020, designing and then building a, a first version of the power system, I, which is this you know big few hundred pound box that you could put into a, an RV compartment and got a bunch of help from friends who are, are, I already knew, kind of finally assembling it or putting it together. I, I set an arbitrary deadline for myself, which was uh, I had to go cook waffles uh, electric waffles on Marina Green at the at the very you know north side of yep. of San Francisco with the bridge Golden Gate Bridge in view and uh, 
pulled <laughs> pulled a couple of all-nighters. Thankfully, I've not had to do since to get this thing done by the, the date that I had, you know, invited all my friends. Did you have your waffles? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Those, those waffles, I, I come hell or high water, we were going we to cook those waffles. Right. And, and we did with a champagne to boot. Right. So basically, I, I built one of those and, and started going out and trying to sell that product to begin with. and Which would be like a power system that you would basically replace a gas generator in an RV, basically. A retrofit product. Gotcha. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was I was going out. I was, actually, it was kind of interesting. I was back to the roots. I was trying to sell to both food truckers and sort of RV distributors at that, at that point. And after a couple months, I, I actually what, I was getting some sales commitments out of it, but I could also tell that I was building a business that would supply into the RV industry and that it was not the sexiest product. It was going to be a really hard way to, to scale in, into the industry. And, and my goal from the start was how, how do we help RVing transition to be an all-electric activity as fast as possible? Because um, I, don't, I don't think it's happening fast enough or in the right way necessarily. And I hit a point and it was l- luckily about a month before I met my co-founder, Toby, Toby Kraus, who is kind of the, he's like the yin to my yang, where, where my background is product and engineering. His is sort of commercial and finance. He was a, he was a finance leader for, in fact, he led finance at, at Tesla for a few years, oh, wow. uh, actually before I, I even got there. And he was a finance leader at, at Proterra as, as well, which is a battery electric bus company. It's interesting, he sort of started and led a, a sub-business within, within Proterra called Proterra Power, which is them, you know, selling their core technology especially batteries to other, you know, big, big truck manufacturers. I was really lucky to meet him. Actually got, got introduced to our, our technical advisor, um, who is also a, a Tesla alum and, wow. and, and now a startup, startup founder as well. And was our, our very first investor. He was, he was the first. Who's that? His name is Dorian, Dorian West, great engineering leader. He was at Tesla basically since the beginning and, and for about oh, wow. 15 years and he, he did a lot of work building the whole the, the battery engineering team from its inception there and led by the semi-truck engineering right um, effort for for a couple of years as well which is it's great it's very relevant task because it's a you know it's a big EV pulling it pulling a trailer at sort of at, at the core and Dorian yeah he he put Toby or he, he mentioned Toby to me as I was sort of showing him the first the very first pitch deck the the pre-seed uh, pitch deck and um, I looked up Toby and, um, Toby was, a, he was an entrepreneur in residence at a venture firm at the time. So he, he was, you know, at that point really was looking to start a company as well and just, just looking for the right fit. And he saw it. it well, actually it took, it took, <laughs> it took several weeks of, of, of me twisting his arm, but ultimately, you know, Toby has worked on electrification and passenger cars sort of from, from the end of the roadster and, and, the, and the whole model S program. And, uh, he then worked on big electric vehicles, you know, these transit buses, and uh, so it was kind of the perfect mix to, you know, to have a, cons- a consumer electric vehicle that was also very, very large. And he sort of loved the market. So, saw in, in particular that, you know, a key thing to, to know about the RV market that doesn't, it's not apparent at, at first blush, or if you don't, if you don't know the activity in the market as well, is that RVing is mostly a travel trailer market. It's mostly a towable market. So there's big self-propelled motorhomes and that this and that this includes sprinter vans and, and and smaller vehicles they are a diminishing fraction or a very small fraction of, of the overall market they're about 10 percent of the market whereas so 90 percent are the are towed basically yep yeah it's you know it's close to six hundred thousand rvs produced every year in the in the u.s actually a bit over that uh last year 
and over a half million of them are towables. So they're all, think of like an Airstream, gotcha. for instance, any a towable caravan. This was sort of the part of the nut of the product idea is that you can do much like what Tesla has done, sort of start from scratch, say, in their case, it was what should a car be for in the electric age. In our case, it is what should a recreational vehicle, most of which are trailers, be in the electric age and sort of design for efficiency in every part of the vehicle. So design for aerodynamics, for low drag, things like that. And once you make a vehicle that is, even without propulsion, efficient enough, now you can put a battery and even you know a motor on board the RV and um, you have enough energy to, of course, run, run all of the appliances on board because, like we said, you don't need that much energy to run those anyway. But even to use the energy in sort of a passenger car-sized battery pack to propel that RV, to propel that trailer down the road, and to reduce all of the load on the on the tow vehicle, you know, which is usually a truck or, or an SUV, so that it experiences a range loss zero. Zero range loss. Yeah. You can basically make the trailer compensate for its own drag, right? So if the trailer provides all of the energy that it alone would need to go down the road now the tow vehicle oh i see so it's a towable but it has a motor in it that can kind of help it along yeah the, the tow vehicle in a way almost becomes like a uh, like a guide vehicle right it's not it's not really pulling very much anymore ah uh, because as i've also seen i've seen that on your website it's kind of like um i don't know what the best way to describe it. it's almost like it's got like a sharp nose and a and a kind of a curved back so it's almost, it almost looks like a it's not quite an arrow in the front, but it's like a torpedo kind of. Yeah, kind yeah. of a torpedo. Yeah, yeah. Like a cigar. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to you got to make something that um, fundamentally is really good at cutting through the air. You can't pull a wall anymore, which is what a lot of travel trailers or traditional right. travel trailers are like. It's it's like pulling a brick wall behind right. you. You have to pull a torpedo instead. And when you do that, now your sort of your vehicle is efficient enough that you can give it a little push, a little extra push, and I see. without without spending too much money on the product to get it there. And this is especially critical for, um, you know, I think we're, we're kind of at the dawn of the electric truck right now. So think of the, the Rivian R1T and the Ford F-150 Lightning, the Cybertruck, there's an EV Silverado on the horizon too. Passenger trucks are going electric at this point, sort of that half-ton truck in particular. And this is by far the best-selling vehicle class in America. I know. I feel like the, the electrification of trucks and presuming people like it and it kind of performs as people saying it will, that to me, it feels like a tipping point because it's Americans love their trucks. Totally. I mean, there's like a million F-150s sold every year in the U.S. It's for decades now. It's crazy popular. Yeah. And they have crappy gas mileage and they're just, you know, there's these big hulking things. But if you can electrify it in a way that makes sense and doesn't and it actually is, performs better in many ways, I feel like that's going to be a real game changer for the industry. And for EV trucks, they're, you know, all these EV trucks that are coming out, their Achilles heel is towing. And in particular, it's, you know, long range towing. They don't do it well. They pull like a beast, but they can't do it far enough. Everything else about the product is way better than, you know, sort of the outgoing hmm. combustion technology, but they can't, they can't tow up far enough. So that that's kind of, um, of course, towing is a key use case for these vehicles. You need to be able to tow. You need to be able to, and towing an RV in particular is sort of one of the most popular ways to tow. To give you an example, you know, most EV trucks have about a 300 mile unladen range right now. But if you put a traditional travel trailer behind it, you lose about two thirds of that range, you know, as, as you're cruising down the interstate. You lose two thirds. 
yeah, so think of like less than 100 miles <laughs> of range is where, where you end up. So basically you render that that use, it's unusable effectively. It's, yeah, it's, it's totally infeasible to do a, a, a long distance RV road trip if you are pulling a traditional travel trailer behind an EV truck today. Toby and I have, have experienced this firsthand. You know, with a, We got a, a long range Model X SUV and travel trailer to the back of it. And I think I charged for something between 40 and 50 hours like every single fast charger between the bay area and and boulder colorado where half of our company is and where where he lives just to make it it's like you can't do it yeah yeah so basically our thinking is that rving is not going to stop rving is a it's sort of a classic pastime for a lot of people it's like quintessential thing trucks are going electric every major oem is all these automakers are putting huge commitments behind electrification of, of their their whole fleet trucks included so somebody's got to make the ends meet here and this was sort of the one of the core reasons especially from a sort of like a timing standpoint that it clicked in my brain and then clicked in toby's too and now many of us that there needs to be an electric rv manufacturer there needs to be a, a company that is sort of taking advantage of you know the opportunities of electrification and also responding to the constraints that you know the new constraints here and um I, I didn't see it happening fast enough and i did not want the growth of you know the electric truck movement to, to slow down at all and so i was like all right right gotta do something about it how was the process of raising money um you know actually i i think certainly having the two of us as a pair toby and i helped a lot because there, you know, there's this idea of, of how well do the founders with their experience fit the you know the market that they're that they're going after, and I think I think investors really loved that. You know, we have we have complementary skills and experience, even, even personalities. That I, Toby has a has a funny saying that uh, I'm kind of the sizzle and he's the steak. Um, <laughs> so so I'm like there's a, there's a there's a nice pairing there, right. and yeah, Toby. I mean, Toby had some fundraising background already because he, he'd done a lot of that at at Proterra, and I mean, from the time that I first met Andrew Beebe, who we both know at Obvious Ventures, like Toby and he had talked a little bit. This was back last summer and, and last spring last summer. Toby had sort of told him about the idea and Andrew was like, oh, this, this is really cool. And then Andrew and I met in the morning in San Francisco for breakfast. And then we met again that afternoon. And then we pitched, you know, the whole partnership, I think it was a day or two later oh, wow. in person. And then we were basically, we were set. It was happening. By, wow. by like that that evening, the same day of the pitch, that sort of thing. Um, one thing that I am confident is true is that, you know, we're going to be judged more and more on how well we are, how well we're executing, how good is the product actually, how well does it meet, you know, people's people's needs in, in this market. And of course, with a, you know, a vehicle manufacturing business, the, the amount of capital that you need to raise keeps, it grows. There's a, there's a, For sure. You're at the very thin end of the wedge right now. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're sort of in, in this nice stage where, you know, we're doing product development and you don't have to spend too much capital to, to find something that works. Um, and then the, the scale up of the business and that, you know, the, the, the manufacturing ramp in particular is going to be, it's going to be a huge, huge challenge. But I think um, folks, we've already shown the sort of the beginnings of the product too, which we're really excited to share with the world next spring are like in love with it. And really, it kind of comes down to you know what's been the most fun part of the whole experience for me so far, and I'm sure for Toby too, is is just kind of building this awesome team. We like really, I'm humbled every day to work with the, the few dozen, couple dozen people we've, we've pulled in so far. And I think it kind of feels like the setup is there, and if we keep executing and, and 
wow the world and are backing up the excitement of this product and sort of the good timing with with a deftly engineered product that is you know built to last and sort of stand the test of time, then I think we're going to do great. And I think we'll be able to keep raising money you know, without that much of a problem. Right. Two more questions and I'll let you go. One is, I think I mentioned to you last time we spoke, especially the more we kind of get into the world of climate tech, which is kind of growing and growing out here, the more people I come across who at some point or other in their career came from Tesla. There's like this whole Tesla tree of people who were there and have left and now started their own companies, battery companies, car companies, whatever it may be. And I'm just wondering from that experience, is there anything that you took from it that you're either like learn to do or not to do or things to be careful of as you've kind of embarking on your own thing? Because, it, you know, Tesla, I mean, I think for a solid decade, every year was like, is this year Tesla's going to go bust? Kind of like we spoke about before. <laughs> There's always a, a diving save in the works. With that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a very kind of harrowing business story that Tesla is still here. But I'm just wondering from your kind of vantage point, is there things that you took away from that where you're like, I definitely want to do that. I definitely don't want to do that. Or I want to, you know, the kind of the good and bad of that and kind of what you drew from that. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one thing I would say is that, yeah, I agree with you. There's the Tesla network is, has sort of spread far and wide at this point. And honestly, it might, it might be one of the greatest impacts that, that the company has over time. Is this just this fanning out of people who are really passionate about electrification and, and making a more sustainable economy and are really doers yeah. like who are committed to making stuff happen. And it was pretty amazing, actually. Toby and I had never, we'd never met before we started working together and then, you know, shook hands to, to co-found the company. But in a lot of ways, it kind of felt like we'd known each other for like years. And I think much of that is because it's just something so visceral in the, in the shared experience of having done some of that work at Tesla, you know, in, in, the, in the, the, the origins of the EV industry and, and just a lot of shared experience there. And we were both pretty passionate about making, um, maybe taking the idea of sustainability back to the workplace too. And, and you know, to a startup as well, uh, where there's kind of the idea that's come into being of the, the startup grind and sort of, you know, working endlessly to, to build a, a great company. And the two of us and everybody at Lightship are no, uh, we're not afraid of hard work, but I think part of our experience is like, like Toby left Tesla to go get married. He found it challenging to do those two things at once, where that was kind of part of the sequence there. Totally. And... I think, you know, coming into a recreation environment as well, where it was going to be about vacation and relaxing and all of this, we, we thought that there was, a, there was a different ethos that we could build there. And yeah, take this idea of sustainability to, and sort of make, make for a sustainable work practice as well. So I think that's that's one thing that's maybe unique or is different about what we're doing here. Yeah, because it feels like Tesla is just a, feels like it's a very intense, demanding place. It's hard. And I, I think there's there's some truth to it. Like there's a shot clock right now. We're, yeah. We're, emitting a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere and the actions that we can take right now to slow down and, and ultimately sort of set the ceiling and, and hopefully it's a low ceiling on how much how much CO2 humanity emits will will translate pretty directly to how far climate change progresses. So I get it. But I think at the same time, we were sort of like, okay, there's going to be a balanced nature to this business. It's built into the ethos of the activity and, and the industry as it is. And so we want to make sure that this is a place where people can do the best work of their lives, work on electrification, really expand the, the movement in a, in a new direction and bring awesome electric products to people who like that. I think the light ship might be the first electric product that a lot of our customers ever own. And that's that's really exciting for me because it, you know, it gives it's it's our chance to 
to show how great a well-designed electric product can be. But I think, yeah, we wanted to, to sort of temper the day-to-day intensity and, and pressure, you know, to fit what we're doing better. So avoid burnout, in other words, or burning out your employees or... I think that's part of it. I think it's a little soft, but just, just for us to be able to look back and say that we're all, you know, we kind of felt fulfilled the whole way too. Um, right. So I would, yeah, I would draw that distinction. I th- but I think a lot of the idea around around excellence and us, again, being the ones to do the work to make sure that we put electrification's best foot forward now in this this new industry, that's that's straight from Tesla. It's sort of the mentality. I mean, building building hardware this big and complicated is so laborious. There, there's, there's so many little details that have to have to go right. And so if, to not feel like we've done ourselves proud, you know, made a product that we can all be proud of, mm. that would feel like a waste of a lot of time and effort because it's something like what we're doing. Even to get the first product out to market is a, is a years long endeavor. Totally. And as you say, it's, it's here at the beginning of this very long, very expensive project. So if you're going to do it, you might as well knock it out of the park. If you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, last question, and I'll let you go. This is the most important question of the interview. Okay, go. <laughs> Do you know why all camper vans or campers or RVs or whatever are all beige? You mentioned earlier. Why are they beige or white? Why is that the why is that the color palette for the whole industry? Have you looked into this? Yeah, I could. <laughs> um... <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of funny directions to go there. I could speculate. Well, for, first off, RVs are very costed down products. There's been a lot of a lot of cost taken out of them over time because the basic thing is so expensive to put together because there's so much stuff. Yeah, I think it's that. I think I think it's also just that the products have not changed fundamentally that much over the last few decades, and so you know when there's not a ton of sort of revolution happening in, or or you could say maybe innovation happening in the, in the products over time, then cost pressures are that's the driver yep so maybe maybe it's just that they don't want to spend extra money on the <laughs> on the paint coat which i'm joking a little bit on I, th- I think another another real thing is that you have to do really good thermal engineering if you're building a darker vehicle of course there are a lot of a lot of cars out there that are jet black I and mean, that's maybe the standard color for a lot of cars but yeah you need to you need to make sure that you're not gonna you're not gonna overheat the interior of the vehicle and and again i mean a key thing is that you um Unless maybe you have a built-in generator or you're carrying one along in your truck, if you're not camping at a campsite that has a power plug right next to it, and if it does, it might not be in a place that you actually want to to camp. If you're not doing that, you probably can't run your air conditioner. For instance, you might have a little a little 12 volt fan, like a low power fan that can can pull some air through. But if you don't have the power on board, which pretty much all RVs don't today, to climate condition the space. Then you got it. You got to do things like, you know, make it as bland and white as as it can be to to I keep see. to keep the interior cool enough. Yeah, I think maybe there's some some stuff like that. But I don't know. I mean, we're, we've sort of focused a lot on building great design into the DNA of of Lightship as well, because I think that's part of what can make something iconic and can make us really unique and memorable. And to have a product that that people really want to showcase, sort of front and center in their lives. And we may not be building a beige. Oh. HRV. Not to give away too much. No, no. Not a big reveal. Mini reveal. <laughs> well, I look forward to checking it out and following along as you as you guys go. Thanks, Danny. It's a fun idea. And I think, like I said, I think between... I do think that the EV moment for pickup trucks in America is going to be a very big thing as these trucks start to come out over the next... I mean, the Rivian is already out, but you know, as the kind of F-150 and 
and these others come out, I feel like if they can start really replacing, you know, the most popular car in America, that's a very big deal. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, if, like you said, best selling vehicle in America for like four decades running, if that becomes majority electric. And I think, I think Ford has already capacitized that program mm. for a couple hundred thousand trucks per year over the next couple of years. Like that's watershed. It is a huge moment for, for electrification. And yeah, we, we just want to make sure that as, as, you know, as people want to use and enjoy their truck, they've got an awesome camper to, to pull behind that they can actually go somewhere with. <laughs> <laughs> i just keep it in their driveway. Well, I wish you luck and uh, we'll definitely have you back on as things kind of progress. All right, let's do it. Lots, lots more to come. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Ben for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank producer Daisy for making it happen as ever each week. And I think I'm going to be kind of returning to this Tesla idea, the Tesla talent tree idea. I think it's it's a fun one. So I'll probably be trying to write something in the paper in the next week or two on that. So do keep an eye out. And yeah, thank you for the ratings, the reviews, telling for your friends and neighbors about the podcast. It always helps. And that is it for me this week. You can find me at thetimes.co.uk. You can find me on the Twitters at Danny Fortson, or you can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. Be well, and talk to you next week.